0: Meatballs, Meatballs. Hi, this is Meatball Fulton, and uh, this is podcast number six, and we have an interview with Tim Clark. Tim is the composer for just about all the Jack Flanders and certainly all the Rubies and a number of other things that CBS has done over the years. Anyway, here we are. Who would have thought all those many moons ago that we ever would have reached Ruby 7?
1: Is it really the last one is my question. (laughs)
0: I ended it like that. Yeah, so, I, don't, you know, I don't. I don't. You should have heard the actors all going, "Oh no!" no, I no, don't believe no.
1: it for a second. You know, I, I've been thinking about the first one because there are a lot of connections between, the, like, the last one and the first one too.
0: Was it really? How, how well, do you in
1: some of the um, some of the music that I did, you know, that that original sort of really simple, stupid theme that I had for the Android Sisters, the first ones that we did, I used that a lot in the Android Sisters, right? Uh, all, you know, in different places. You know, there are quite a few of them where you can. Find find that theme.
0: The digital circus, I mean, how close was the music that you have been using? Well, it showed up in Ruby 6, yeah the, there's a lot of digital circus. The first we, one
1: wasn't that theme. We didn't have that theme yet.
0: You know, it may have shown up in Ruby 3. It was
1: Ruby 3, I remember yeah. it exactly. And that's where that theme came, with the calliope and then the full circus band and everything. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple more Rubies that had it. There's a couple of things that I was thinking of that I seem to do a lot over the rubies. One is whenever there is an angel character of any kind or other, I always seem to have the same kind of music, which is that sort of laid-back, sexy kind of music. Remember in the, in the first one there was hubba-hubba trees, and we had, right. we had that sort of soft kind of stuff that would come in with the vocoder. Yeah and i pretty much used that kind of stuff all the way through whenever there was one of those characters in in all of them and the same thing with this
0: last one too it really works nicely because it's such a change when suddenly it goes into that romantic kind of sensual sexy yeah
1: especially when tarou's going nuts you know on yeah. the top of it which <laughs> makes it really funny to
0: me yeah this this last one was uh kind of suggestive in parts. Oh, I mean, boy.
1: Just... That scene with, with Tarou with the zipper is I think as far as you've pushed it so <laughs> far. <laughs> yeah, whoever played... Um Angel, this time, was great. I mean, she was really good.
0: Oh, she was cute as can be, too, was she ever.
1: Haven't they all been, though? Pretty much all the, the people that have played the Angel characters, haven't they all been pretty pretty attractive? I mean, I remember oh, you telling...
0: All of them been, been stunning. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> oh, you, you know, the mole people, too. The, yeah, that's that's, the, that's the another tango. one I was going to mention.
1: That one pretty much came right from the first Ruby. And I can't remember why or how that showed up.
0: Well, that was because of the uh, tango. Oh, the tango. That's right. Yeah, I remember the moles would love to tango. And I remember when they first showed up, there's a kind of a deep or heavy kind of beat. I mean, slow kind of thing of the moles as being these big kind of creatures that lumber around. There's no
1: question that if any of the mole people show up, there's going to be tango.
0: Right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love this one, especially that part in the cave where you can sort of hear it above them oh, right, through the right. ballroom, and then they break through and it turns. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah that's great. I thought that was
0: really good. Yeah, it's great fun working with Fred, who does the mole, and the original mole too. Until to yeah, right back again.
1: He does tuka too, doesn't he? He does Tuca. Yeah. 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 Now the tuka has always had some kind of a stereotype, Middle Eastern flavor to it, because I think we knew right from the beginning of the first one, he had a fez on.
0: Well, also, too, I think I probably mentioned that he was really based on the character of Senor Ferrari in uh, Casablanca. Oh, that's that, right. That Sidney Greenstreet played. I mean, I remember telling Fred, you know, that that's really what the character is based on, that, with the fez, and, and just his sort of attitude. I mean, originally, anyway, and he's kind of... Uh, well, he's still fairly close to that, actually, yeah. And I love the music that you did for the Tuca's Tale, you know, where he's talking about Tulula, Tutulip.
1: Yeah, I actually just listened to that. That's always an interesting challenge, you know, when they, the piece has to sort of evolve from one thing to another without stopping. And uh, the thing that I really like about that one is that his themes, I just sort of cut back for the you know the middle part, where he's in the desert, and then I put the waltz on the top of it. I still have sort of that rhythm right. going, but I bring in an orchestra. I remember
0: that night under the moons of Sumanula, the Oasis Orchestra began to play. I bowed to Tula and asked for a dance. She blinked her long purple eyelashes and smiled. She rose up on her tentacles and we danced. Oh, how we danced, our tentacles wrapped tightly around each other, waltzing across the sand, and the band played on.
1: I know you want to hear this, and maybe one day we can release an edited version of the Tuca's Tales, but for now, let's hop ahead.
0: How do you do that? I mean, how, how can you get from something that's a desert theme into a waltz?
1: Well, um, what I did with that is that I, I kept the same tempo going. I had the drums underneath, which I pulled back. And then, well, the waltz is a three-beat pattern, and I had a four-beat pattern going on. So I started with that, it's sort of a string violin kind of rhythm that goes over the top that that sort of... You know, a fairly typical waltz kind of thing, mm-hmm. and I just superimpose one over the top of the other. And by doing that and then starting to pull back the heavier beat of that first rhythm that I had going, it becomes the waltz because I keep all the beat structures sort of the same, and then I can bring that, those drums back up again and pull the, the orchestra sound down and it starts turning back into the, the desert kind of sound again.
0: In Ruby 7, The Wedding, that, you know, that whole thing, which just goes on. It goes on for quite a ways with the ringmaster. How the heck did you sustain that and yet always make it interesting?
1: That was really fun. Actually, that scene, the whole wedding and the the wedding um, ceremony itself, you know, with the vows and everything, which just breaks me up every time I hear it. I mean, it just breaks me up. So what I did, you know, I started, I had the digital circus music, which was sort of necessary, and that started it with that calliope. Kind of sound and mm-hmm. the basic digital circus orchestra which is, the, is like a circus band it's trombones and trumpets and snare drum and timpani cymbals, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. then of course i got the idea which there was no question about that i wouldn't use like a pipe organ i figured that i could bring the pipe organ in and i actually play the digital circus theme There's a couple of places where I use some little quotations from the Here Comes the Bride. bride." And then, of course, when Andor is introduced, I bring back the digital circus thing. When um, the ceremony is going on, I've got the pipe organ playing in the background. I played along with the ceremony and left pauses in the places where I didn't want to step on the lines and sort of played it like a church organist would play it mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. background but not really because it's more like you know an organist would do it if he was watching like a,
0: an old time movie you're working with sampled instruments a lot of times yeah Meaning what does that mean? Not all the time? Or?
1: No, there are times when uh, the instruments are sampled instruments, and you know, I start with an instrument that everybody's heard, and then i'll I'll filter it or I'll use it. oh, I see,
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. I mean,
1: I'll change it.
0: Now, which the Andra sisters do at the very end of right. Because uh, originally I thought because I knew that you would play cellos, I thought it was probably a sample cello, but then you tell me it, it wasn't.
1: Well, it was close. It was a violin. Uh-huh. It wasn't a good sample of a violin. It was a bad sample of a violin, which is what I liked about it. Because mm. um, it's a rough sound. It's not real pretty. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's flat and rough, which is kind of weird. You know, a lot of times when you use a sampled sound, you use a bunch of samples depending on what note you're playing so that they don't, Right. you know, you get it to a certain point and the sample starts sounding weird because yeah. it's too high or too low and you go to a new one. In cases like this, I just used the same sample over and over again, and I used it in a range that wasn't necessarily correct. So it didn't really sound much. like a violin. I mean, you can't yeah. really tell what it is. Mm-hmm. And then the only other sound that's really in that that piece is that real soft, sort of full-string orchestra mm-hmm. that comes in toward the end. And that's just a synthesizer sound that I've been using for years that I worked on, jeez, I don't know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and I, I've never lost it, fortunately. <laughs> Because I use it all the time.
0: I'm curious because it's one thing, you know, to play keyboard, okay, you know, piano, organ, whatever. But then how do you work when it's a string or, uh, say, a saxophone or a trumpet or a trombone? I mean, how are you playing that on a keyboard? Because that's what you're doing when you're using those samples, correct? Yeah. It's a lot
1: easier than playing the trombone, I'll tell you.
0: (laughs) Say the saxophone. Okay, how do you get the feel because you're dealing with quite different type of fingering it would seem to me than a keyboard, right?
1: It really depends on what the music is. If I'm using a sampled sound, let's say a saxophone, I want it to sound like a saxophone. You know, like, remember how many I used like in uh, Maltese Goddess and stuff. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I wanted it to sound like a saxophone player. Mm -hmm. So I played it as close to like what a saxophone player would play. I mean, the kind of lines that I think he would play. And I stay within the range of the saxophone. I don't go too high or too low with it. I don't do that very often. More, more often I'll take a sample and just completely destroy it, which is a lot more fun. Mm. Where I come up and I say, okay, I'm gonna use saxophone here, but I don't care where I, I play it. You know, I wind up playing chords with it, mm-hmm. anything just to make the sound. And, and sometimes when you do that, the sound turns into something else. You don't recognize it anymore.
0: Are you often combining even into, into one instrument, two or more, or creating a new instrument?
1: Oh yeah, I do that a lot. You know, the instrument that's sort of like an oboe that I put on the top of the tuka music. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an oboe, is mm-hmm. what it is. It's not really an oboe. It's um.
0: Well, it's kind of like a shenai. It's kind yeah, of yeah. Well,
1: like I a used a um, my other computer synthesizer called Absinthe. That And you can import samples into that, which is kind of interesting, and then do all sorts of stuff to them. So I found a sort of real short oboe kind of sample, I think it was an oboe anyway, and I put it in there and then I changed all sorts of overtone series and that kind of stuff on it. And the other really interesting thing you can do with that synthesizer that I can't do with any of the others is that I can um, shift the whole tuning of the keyboard into alternate tunings. So I actually tuned the whole keyboard, and it does it instantaneously into a, a Middle Eastern tuning, which gives you oh, really? some, some some notes of the scale which are flatter than a Western scale and sharper, and that really gave the feeling of that music that way. I've never been able to really do that before, but this one I can. It's really fun to screw around with that. Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: I'm just trying to think if there was any other sort of interesting type things that I did for this one.
0: Well, I know the Prophet of War, but that's more because of your coming up with something so totally different.
1: I think the thing that made it was it doesn't start with that. It starts with sort of a mm-hmm. an electronic ostinato thing, which I pretty much keep going all the way through. And then I bring in the sort of mm-hmm. stereotype kind of drums and, and bugle. Mm-hmm. And then bringing in that sort of thing that sounds like a march, but, mm-hmm. but once in a while I break it up, you know, because I put an electric bass in there and... Um, that March feeling sort of comes in and out for yeah. each of the sections. That
0: really worked really well. Oh yeah, it, it just changed the whole feel wonderfully. Well, I think, unless you, you know, have any other uh, comments, what I'd like to do next, I mean next time, or another time, is to do something on Jack, I think would be nice. Okay. Since there's a lot of Jack Flanders fans.
1: Well, it might be fun, depending on you know what you want to do with it, to actually go back and talk about the first one. The first one we did, um, Incredible Adventures. I mean, that
0: could be really interesting. <laughs> that was music you were doing for the planetarium. For the planetarium, right. Yeah. What Tim was referring to, he worked for years as composer-in-residence at the McLaughlin Planetarium in Toronto. And, well, he was there composing things for various planetarium shows, He started sending me music and the first thing I ever used it for was The Incredible Adventures of Jack Flanders and what he's talking about is that when he realized how I was using the music he started composing things for the planetarium shows that he thought I could use.
1: It actually got to the point I remember where I was every time I did a planetarium show. <laughs> I was actually more thinking about how I could use it later on than how it would work in this. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I was really composing it more for you know for Jack than I was for the planetarium.
0: <laughs> That's great. And so that was an interview with uh, the composer Tim Clark. If you're interested in other things by ZBS or all the stuff that we do check us out at ZBS.org. ZBS.org.